Welcome to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We're glad to have you with us again this week as we are taking a look at lesson number five. This is looking at some of the excuses that we often give in order to try to remove ourselves from mission. They're not very good ones, though, and we're going to dive into them this week. Let's begin with prayer. Father, we want to thank you for giving us an opportunity to learn more about how we can be more effective witnesses for you, how we can share your love with others. And we ask that today you would help us to bypass the many excuses that often present themselves so that we can be effective tools for you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're delighted to have back with us again this week, Amy Whitsett. She's an associate director of the Institute of World Mission. You've served, you and your husband have both served as missionaries for many, many years, and you're bringing that wealth of experience and knowledge uh, to us through this quarter Sabbath school lesson. We're very grateful. Welcome. Thank you. So this week, we're taking a look at excuses to avoid mission. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody might be wondering, what is an excuse? <laughs> uh, it's it's we can start making excuses by not even knowing what an excuse is. So, so what's, what is an excuse? Give us a definition for an excuse. I looked in several dictionaries to kind of get an idea of, you know, how would they phrase it? And basically what it comes down to is justification for not doing what we should be doing or for doing what we should not be doing. So it's just justifying our actions. And, and excuses are, they come very easily. They come, unfortunately, rather naturally. And we find a number of people in the Bible who made excuses for one reason or another. Moses springs to my mind. But we want to take some time this week and look at the story of Jonah. Help us to understand this story. Give us a little bit of context and, and why this is such a, a vivid example, a clear example of what not to do. Yeah. So Jonah, as we know, was called by God to go to Nineveh. And what Everybody knows is he didn't go to Nineveh. He ended up on the ship, ended up in the stomach of the whale, you know. And, and But there's a lot more to it than that. Um, if you really delve into it, if you look into some of the archaeology and some of the records of history, there's actually some pretty significant reasons why Jonah didn't want to go. He had some pretty legitimate excuses. He had some not legitimate excuses as well. But the Ninevites, Nineveh actually was not on the coast. Nineveh was 560 miles inland in the opposite direction. And so when he went to Joppa and he took the ship, he went the opposite direction to what is now southern Spain. Complete opposite direction. And in my research, I found it would have taken about a month for him to get to Nineveh. And it would have taken him about a month to get to Tarshish. You know, so one month opposite directions. So he was escaping. The question is, why was he escaping? Why was he not wanting to go? Um, In some of the historical records, Sennacherib or his scribes actually record some of the invasions and cities that they conquered and the stories of those invasions. And the Ninevites, uh, Nineveh, first of all, was the capital of Assyria. And the Assyrians were known for the brutality. They were ruthless people. Um, and there are, you know, carvings and things that depict people impaled on spikes and beheaded. And I mean, just all, all manner of brutality and torture. And so for Jonah to be called to take this weird message, this scary message that God's going to destroy you, I wouldn't want to be Jonah, I'll be honest with you, not to go face those Ninevites because I know what's coming, 
right? So he, he was legitimately afraid um, of what, what the possibilities could be and, and what they could possibly do to him. No, he, the Bible calls him a prophet. Mm-hmm. We have this picture in our minds, I think, of prophets as these courageous individuals, no matter what they're called to do, off they go, and I'm a mouthpiece for God, and you need to listen to me. Jonah doesn't come across with that, that vibe, as it were. He's a little more hesitant. Ultimately, we know God was still able to use him. What does that tell us a little bit about us? Prophets are real people. You know, we do have a picture of them almost with the, you know, the prophet cape on them, the Superman cape. But they were real, actual people like you and I. And they had the same fears. They had the same insecurities. They had the same needs that we do. And so to recognize that they're just people that God used, if you flip that around and say, I'm just a person like the prophets, God could use me too. Not that I want to be written in a Bible, (laughs) not that I want my story told, but I certainly want to be used by God. So this story of Jonah begins by introducing us to Jonah Mm -hmm. and what God is calling Jonah to do. As you mentioned, Jonah knew a few things about the Ninevites. He, He was not unfamiliar with them and some of the things that they had done, and it was much more real to him back in his day than it is to us many years later, looking at carvings and and so forth, he didn't want to go. You you might say he was a little prejudiced against the Ninevites. Do we face something similar to that? Can we face something similar to that today? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, not only were the Ninevites brutal people, the Assyrians brutal people, at least they're warriors— um, they were also the enemy of Israel. You know, how many times had the Assyrians attacked Israel and God's people? And so there was this natural feeling that this was the enemy. It was a cultural thing. Their culture is against our culture. Their people are against our people. And when you have that kind of a situation, it does build natural prejudice that we don't like those people. They're the other. They're not part of us. They're not one of us. They're over there, and we're going to keep them over there. And that we run into danger with that because God is a God of all people, right? And so if we allow our prejudices, which we don't always recognize, if we allow our prejudice to block us from being involved in mission, we're limiting God. We're, we're, I shouldn't say we're limiting God. God isn't limited by humans, but we're limiting ourselves to be used by God, Right. We're not always clear that we're prejudiced against somebody. Is there anything that we could do to, to help ourselves see that more clearly, to be a little more honest with ourselves? Any ideas of how we might overcome some of that prejudice that's, that exists? We may not even recognize it. Yeah. Um, my boss, Oscar Osindo, a great guy, one of his favorite phrases is withhold judgment. Withhold judgment. You know, don't judge people's actions. Don't label people's actions as good or bad or right or wrong. Instead, label it as different and seek to understand. So we need to listen. We need to ask questions. We need to try to understand why people are doing what they're doing, why they're acting the way that they're acting, why they are who they are, before we cast judgment on them. And, and that does a big thing to, to eliminate our prejudice and to help us to recognize that we have it. We can begin to understand that it exists, withholding judgment. 
I suppose prayer probably plays some role in this as well. Pray- prayer should play a role in everything. Absolutely. And this is not the exception to that. Talk about the role of prayer here mm-hmm. for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we can pray that God will open our eyes to the prejudice. But then it also goes back to last week's story with Abraham and asking God to give us a heart of compassion. That God will help us to see people as people and help us to recognize as, that as long as somebody is living and breathing, there's hope. There's opportunity. There's possibility that the Holy Spirit can reach them. And if we can see people as people, see people as human, then that will help to, to dissipate the prejudice as well. Because often our prejudice isn't against individual people. It's against our conception of a society, our perception of a society or a culture, or a group of people. But if we can start to hear stories, it breaks down prejudice. When we were in Asia, there were a number of um, asylum seekers that came to Bangkok. And there was quite a bit of prejudice between not just the local people and these refugees, asylum seekers, but among the asylum seekers themselves because there were Christians and there were there was a minority Muslim group and huge tension and conflict between them. And as we helped people to sit down and listen to each other and to listen to people's stories, and there's something about suffering that makes people human and it, it awakens in us compassion. And then we treat people differently. We see people differently when we can have that compassionate spirit and those compassionate eyes towards people. So stories that help us to, to connect with people in ways that we wouldn't otherwise. You know, if we, if we run into somebody that's a different culture, a different race, a different faith, a different worldview, we tend to focus on the differences. Right. It's natural for us to, to focus on the differences. But when we can learn a little something about them, we, we find out that they are men, they are women, they're mothers, they're fathers, they're, they're children, they're, they're struggling with this subject in school or that subject in school, or they're trying to, to figure out how to express themselves in, in one way or another, fit into a culture that's maybe different than ours. Mm-hmm. And you're right, they become more human, they become more like us. Yeah. And, and that can be very, very powerful. And it's not just a cross-culture either. We can do that in our own culture. You know, the bum on the street, the beggar on the street. You know, we often look down on them. Why? We assume that they're uneducated. We assume that they can't manage their money well. We assume that they have addictions or habits that they can't control, right? So we make these assumptions. But if we were to sit down and to listen to their story, I bet our story would change. Our attitude would change towards them. Yeah, one of the things that my family and I enjoy doing is on a variety of times throughout the year, but especially around uh, around the Christmas season, is there's a, a Christmas banquet that's held mm-hmm. for a lot of the, the homeless, the unsheltered people in our area. And so our children and, and we get to go and we get to feed them. We get to sit at the table and talk with them and hear their stories and what they're going through and, and what their life was like before and mm-hmm and what they've experienced. And now it's it's no longer just that person that you see out there. It's a real person that you, that you have connected with in a very meaningful way. Mm-hmm. But that does take some intentionality. It does. Yeah. It really does. And time. And that runs into another one of the excuses that we have is that it's inconvenient. Mission is not convenient. You know, it, it costs us sometimes financially. Sometimes it costs us our time. It costs us our energy, especially our emotional energy. Um, but that's the cost, that's the price we have to pay, right? 
That's the price of being a disciple of God and and discipling others is being willing to put our resources to use in those areas. If you stop and take a step back and look at the big picture here, it cost Jesus a little bit of time and a little bit of effort to come down here and and help us out and to to connect with us on this human level. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- talk about taking a step down. It's one thing from being sheltered to unsheltered, but it's a whole other thing to come from heaven down to this sin-cursed earth and, and take the time and the effort and the ridicule uh, that he took in order to reach us. And this is just a, just a small glimpse that Jesus is giving us of what he went through to reach us. And if we can catch a hold of that, I think maybe we can Maybe we can reach people a little more effectively, too. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. We're going to keep looking here at the story of Jonah. But if you are enjoying this quarter's lesson and want to get even more out of it, you're going to hear me continue to recommend this book to you, and I would highly encourage you to pick it up. It is God's Mission, My Mission. And this is the companion book to this quarter's lesson. And you will get so much out of this book. You will be glad that you have it. It comes in very handy if you are teaching Sabbath school classes, if you are participating in Sabbath school classes, or if you just want to figure out how you can be more effective in mission for God. It's a fantastic resource. You can find it at itiswritten.shop. Again, that's itiswritten.shop. I'm going to be back in just a moment with Amy as we continue looking at excuses for mission. We'll be right back. He could be one of the most perplexing characters in the entire Bible. Called by God, commissioned by God, directed by God. But instead of following God's leading, he ran away from God and went in the opposite direction to where God called him. While fleeing from God, he was apprehended by God, swallowed by a giant sea creature, and given another opportunity to allow God's will to be done in his life. Don't miss great characters of the Bible. Jonah. We'll meet the reluctant prophet who fled from the presence of God and didn't want to see a city full of people saved. What does the story of Jonah teach us about Jonah, about God, and about you and me? Don't miss great characters of the Bible, the story of Jonah. Watch now on It Is Written TV. Thank you for remembering that It Is Written exists because of the kindness of people just like you. To support this international life-changing ministry, please call us now at 800-253-3000. You can send your tax-deductible gift to the address on your screen, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Thank you for your prayers and for your financial support. Our number again is 800-253-3000, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're looking at excuses to avoid mission. And Amy, there are lots of different excuses that we can, we can offer uh, for why we don't need to do what we realize we're actually being called to do. One of those is fear. Mm-hmm. Share with me a little bit more about fear. You know, we mentioned with the story of Jonah that he understood who the Ninevites were. He understood the Assyrians and how brutal they could be. And so there was a real fear of of physical danger, right? 
And we can experience that sometimes, depending on who we're going to witness to, who we're going to talk to, minister to. But there's other fears as well. Ellen White has this great quote in the book Prophets and Kings, page 271. She says, When Jonah learned of God's purpose to spare the city that, notwithstanding its wickedness, had been led to repent in sackcloth and ashes, he should have been the first to rejoice because of God's amazing grace. But instead, he allowed his mind to dwell upon the possibility of his being regarded as a false prophet. Jealous of his reputation, he lost sight of the infinitely greater value of the souls in that wretched city. Because of why? His fear of damaging his reputation. When we were in Asia, I experienced this. But in a slightly different way. I'm, I'm a nurse by training. And so I would offer nursing care, medical care for people in the community, people in the church. And... I remember the struggle to pray for people, to pray for healing. Because what if God doesn't answer that? What are people going to think about me? You know, are people going to come to me for more medical care in the future? My prayer isn't answered? Probably not. Okay, so that's a hit to me personally. But then beyond that, what if God doesn't come through? What does that do to God's reputation? And it hindered me for a little while until I realized that's not, that's not for me to decide. That's for him to decide, right? If I'm called to pray for somebody, if I'm called to care for somebody or do something for somebody, I need to just do it and let the outcome be what the outcome will be. Regardless of my reputation, regardless of God's reputation, let him deal with that. I just need to do. I'm just, I'm the gloves on his hand, right? And the gloves don't need to, they don't need anything. They don't need any recognition, Um, You know, back to that verse in Matthew from the last lesson. Do your good works that people will glorify your Father in heaven, right? It's not about us. It's not about our reputation. It's about God. And it's about people seeing his loving character, his true character. Because so many people have a misconception of who God is. And they need to understand that he is a deeply loving, caring God who has a deep part of compassion for them. So it sounds like in in this excuse, because that's what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. uh, fear of, of what might happen to my reputation or, or God's reputation, to some extent, that might that might smack ever so slightly of pride, just a little bit, yeah. and uh, and that of course is something that we are called to avoid That's and right. to to lay aside. Yeah, uh, you know, some of the excuses that Jonah had for for not wanting to go to Nineveh, some of them were we, we might call them good, but they're all excuses. They're some of them are they're legitimate excuses. Sure, we we wouldn't fault him maybe for those. Some of them maybe a little more of a stretch, not so good. But as we look at these excuses that he had, all of them, I think, to a greater or lesser extent, whether good or not, are familiar. They sound like maybe some excuses perhaps that we have made, maybe some excuses that we are making right now as God has called us to to do something or go somewhere or speak to someone or Mm -hmm. minister to someone or invite someone. and, And we kind of, for one reason or another, we hesitate. Why do these sound so familiar? <laughs> We're quick to point the finger at Jonah. And I think because two reasons. One, we know the end of this. Well, we don't know the end of the story, but we know what happens later in the story, right? This is one of those, it's, it's a story that's unfinished in the Bible. Um, and a lot of debate on why that is. But we kind of know what's, what's coming. We know what's happening. We know that the Ninevites are going to turn. We know that God is going to get through to them and, and change their hearts, right? 
Jonah didn't know that. So we're quick to point a finger, I think, because we know that part of the story. But we're also quick to point the finger because he was a prophet, right? I'm not a prophet. He was a prophet. And to be a prophet, you have to be really, you know, the superhero person who's willing to do anything bold and brave for God. And we forget that, again, that prophet is is calling people back to a loving relationship with God. And that's what we're called to do, isn't it? So I, I think we have to be careful not to go around calling ourselves prophets, but that's the role that we're also called to play, especially as a church. As an end-time church, we, we do have a prophetic word for this world that God is a God of love, and he's seeking after you. He's pursuing you. Stop and listen, right? Um, so we need to stop pointing the finger, and we need to maybe hold up a mirror instead and say, God, you know, where am, where am I giving excuses? What excuses am I using not to be involved? What excuses am I giving for you not to use me in the way that you'd like to use me? And to be honest with you, I don't know why we do that. Because when God uses us, I know when I've had experiences that it's clear that God has used me, I am blown away. Whoa, that, it becomes a spiritual mountaintop experience, right? And why don't we want to live on the mountaintops? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, pick any of these excuses as a reason why. You know, it's going to cost me something. It's going to take my time. It's going to be just really difficult and emotionally draining. Um, you know, maybe God's going to ask me to do something that I'm afraid is going to hurt my reputation, you know? Um, so many excuses that we have. But part of it, too, is that we misunderstand our role and God's role. You know, God's role is to heal. Our role is to pray for people. Our role is to bring people to, to the foot of the cross and allow God to do the healing, allow God to do the fixing and the changing and the correcting and, and the caring and whatever it is he needs to do, the transformation in them, and we're just there to bring them and to support them through that. So maybe if, if we start to think that some of those things are our job, that, that maybe we'll end up looking bad or like maybe we'll feel we've failed mm-hmm. if they're not healed, if they don't make that decision to accept Christ, if they don't surrender their lives, if they don't choose to be baptized, if they don't choose that it feels to us like a shortcoming on our part. But that's really not, that's not our part. Uh, I, I, for one, I'm glad I'm not the Holy Spirit. Oh, amen. Um, there's, he's got a whole <laughs> lot more on his plate than I have on mine. And he's much more capable of doing what he does than I would ever be. But I get the opportunity to see him work. I get the opportunity to, to watch people's lives be changed as a result of what he is doing. Mm-hmm. And if I can take that focus off of myself for a moment and put the focus back on him where it should be, then some of these fears and, and apprehensions should, should dissipate, and I just get to watch God do what God does best. Yeah. And, and that's really, really powerful. Yeah. One of, the, one of the best ways I found to be able to do that is to keep a gratitude journal. To start recognizing where God is working in my life in the small things in the personal things. And I think that we can thank God for anything good that happens, right? You know, oh, I saw an amazing sunset tonight. Oh, thank you, God, for the sunset. You know, that was a small miracle or that was a gift from God, you know. So if we can start recognizing where God is in our life, even in the mundane, 
I think we're going to be much more willing to be used. We're going to be much less quick to give an excuse, I would hope. <laughs> I, I know I for me so. it's true. Yeah. I know for me it's true. As I see God working, it builds faith that God is going to do the right thing and that God is going to come through and that God is, you know, God's going to be there. God's got this, you know. Um, so, yeah, keeping our eyes open to what he's doing and thanking him for it and being open to it, which brings up something else, and that's the power of testimony. You know, a lot of times we, we forget that God's the one that transforms hearts. Our job is to share a testimony. And a lot of times we think that our testimony was, you know, 30 years ago when I was baptized and I had a reconversion experience or whatever. But really we need to have testimonies every day of how God is changing me, how God is helping me, how God is strengthening me, how God is loving me. Because that's what people relate to. That's what people understand. You know, maybe you have an issue with anger and you're praying and God is helping you to overcome your anger. That's a testimony. That's a testimony that, you know, I was in a conversation, somebody said something, normally I would just, but this time I kept my calm, that praise God, that's a testimony. How God is using us day by day, it's not just about the big wins, it's about the small things that God is doing and, and how he's changing us as well. And this story of, of Jonah helps us to, to see some of that. Give us one or two takeaways that we can, that we can take from this story concrete things that we can that we can apply to our lives today to help us overcome some of these excuses Mm -hmm. first of all if god tells you to do it do it (laughs) and as we said before it takes courage so pray for the courage the bible says if you if you lack anything ask for it god i don't have the courage to do what you just what i think you're telling me to do give me the courage to do it and then do it make that decision to do it um one author says actually write it down you know, pray and ask God, what do you want me to do when you feel the impression? Write it down. Because in the act of writing it down, all of a sudden makes it real. And then you have to make the decision, what am I going to do about this? What, what am I going to do about this thing that I just wrote down? Is it going to stay there on paper or am I actually going to put feet on that? So choose to do what God is calling you to do. And then we have to also choose to trust that God's going to come through. And that's exactly what he did in the story of Jonah. Despite Jonah's hesitance, despite his uh, malfunctioning compass, God was still able to do what needed to be done when, when Jonah chose to be used. And if he can do that for the Ninevites, he'll come through for us. I think he can handle that. Absolutely. Amy, thank you for joining us this week. And thank you for joining us this week again on Sabbath School. We are taking an incredible journey together, looking at God's mission my mission. That involves you, that involves me, and week by week we are looking at ways that we can be involved in that mission. And each week some practical challenges on Thursday's lesson. So don't skip those practical challenges. Grab them, uh, apply them to your life, and let God use you in powerful, powerful ways. We look forward to seeing you again next week here on Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written.